Affordable housing is a basic human right, and to build a better Kentucky where all our people can thrive, safe and reliable housing is absolutely essential. I wanted to be better and meet those goals, and it wouldn't have been possible without Kentucky housing. Knowing that I had a roof over my head, um, food to eat, knowing that I didn't have to want for anything, um, that's a that's a big plus. Being a single parent and not having to worry about um, you know housing, uh, paying bills while you know being in school. But I am here to tell you that there is a lot of beauty in this part of the county. Bringing it home with KHC. Welcome back to Bringing It Home with KHC. My name is Steve Morrow, and I am your host today. Our second episode explores the challenges Kentuckians are facing with multifamily units. Multifamily housing is a universal term for any housing that has more than one unit. A duplex, apartment building, condominium complex, or a collection of townhomes are all considered multifamily housing. Kentucky Housing Corporation funds multifamily development with low-income housing tax credits, tax-exempt bonds, and the Affordable and National Housing Trust Fund. Developers use those funds to create housing units for low-income Kentuckians. This year, KHC funded 13 new projects with more than $12.5 million in tax credits, as well as $8.5 million in new funding provided by the American Rescue Plan. Joining us today are Jim King, the president of FAHI, and David Cooper, the president and chief legal counsel of Woda Cooper Companies, to discuss trends, issues, and solutions for the problems facing multifamily housing. And if we could just start by having you introduce yourself uh, and, and talk a little bit about uh, what Woda Cooper is, um, and then we can kind of go from there. Sure. So I'm David Cooper and uh, one of the principals of Woda Cooper Companies. We're actually finishing our 32nd year in business this year. Uh, we've been um, working almost exclusively in affordable housing for those 32 years. So we've seen a lot of things happen and change and come and go. Um, I, I am involved in each aspect of our company's operations, development, construction, and management. Um, we uh, have developed somewhere around 385 affordable communities in our, in our history. And so we, we manage all those uh, units currently. Um, I like to say we house something over 30,000 people. So, so we get a good, good sense of, uh, you know, kind of what the world is like in terms of affordable housing. We do about, uh, 25 new developments each year. So, uh, so we, so we also are very active on the development side. So, uh, you know, we, and, and we work in 16 different states. So I think we get a pretty, pretty broad view of, uh, of, of affordable housing kind of east of the Mississippi. Yeah, when I saw the map, I, I, I saw that. It's like you've kind of covered a lot of land in the eastern and, and southern United States. Um, do, do you see many differences between what's happening in uh, maybe on the east coast and what you see what's happening here in Kentucky? Um, I don't think there are drastic differences. I think, um, I, you know, I think there, the, the commonalities are, are, are more so than, than the differences. I think we have a tight housing market uh, in Kentucky as well as many other places. I think workforce attraction and growth is is uh, 
tied to developing uh, places where the workforce can afford to live. And I, I don't think that's any different in, in Boone County in Kentucky than it is in Franklin County in Ohio. So, so, so I, I, I think there are a lot of commonalities. We're seeing, of course, rising costs. That's really everywhere. We're seeing rising rents. That's really everywhere. Um, and we're seeing, I would say, just critical demand for, for units, um, units that are newly built, lease up very quickly, uh, fill up very quickly. Um, and, and I just think that's really a indication of the demand. Yeah. How do you choose, um, like when you look at the map for how, where you guys are located, how do you choose where you're going to, cause you mentioned, you know, Boone County and then Franklin County, two very different, uh, places, one's more metropolitan, uh, one's more rural. So how do yeah. you decide though, where you're going to go with uh, one of your properties? Well, we're, we're very comfortable with um really any type of community to build affordable housing so unlike some developers who might diversify by doing something other than affordable housing having a single family subdivision or a, a single family division of their company or maybe doing market rate units or condos or something we never we never went that route our diversification has really been across the affordable housing platform so for us um, you know, we feel just as comfortable in a place like Boone County, Kentucky, or Georgetown, South Carolina, as we do in um, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or Baltimore, Maryland. So, so you know, we kind of consider ourselves to be specialists in affordable housing, and we're, we, we, we try to understand how different types of communities fit into different areas. Well, yeah, um... Jim uh, King, he was um, from Fahi, he was talking about a little bit how sometimes it is difficult to get developers to, to build in some of like the Boone counties and the rural areas because they don't see it as a, like a profitable investment in that way. Um, so how do you guys do it, I guess, without getting yeah. a great secret? <laughs> yeah, we might feel a little different than some in the sense that we don't we don't sell our properties, so we continue to own and manage what we've built through the years. And so, and so, you know, there are some companies who kind of look to own a property for 12 or 15 years and then maybe sell it or move on to something else. We don't really take that view. We're kind of more about um, creating stable communities that'll last for a long time and, and staying with those communities over the long term. So for us, you know, a place like Boone County using the example where you've got a local government that's very interested in expanding its workforce, where you've got a lot of strong economic development that's occurring um, and, and a lot of, you know, really demographics that are saying there's a high demand for uh, workforce and affordable housing. Those are good indicators for us that if we build something, it's going to be successful there. Yeah. You mentioned the workforce housing. That's something last week when we talked with, uh, uh, Brent Childers out in Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, and then Patrick Bowen from Bowen National Research that they were saying that, you know, the conversation around affordable housing now, I don't know if it's just now, but is including this idea of workforce housing. Now, could you define what that is maybe and, and talk about how sure. you guys think about it? Yeah. So it, it really is how, you know, if, if you look at the cost of creating a new rental unit today, 
the, the challenge is, you know, we've had two years in a row of roughly 20% increases in construction costs. So in order to justify the cost of building something, you're really going to have to charge a very high rent if you're going to do it purely market rate. And that rent's going to probably in some markets be at or above $2 a square foot per month for rent. So it really, it really pushes out a lot of hourly workers, pushes out a lot of, you know, new, new teachers, police officers, people who are new to the, to the workforce and says, you know, they, they just really can't afford to pay $2,100 for a one bedroom apartment. That's not realistic. So of course the tax credit program allows us to reduce those rents by bringing in a significant amount of equity as part of our financing. And, and, and it's really the ability to serve that demographic who, you know, maybe has a wage that um, goes up to 80% of area me median income um, that, that really can't afford that, that market rate unit uh, in the area. Well, how do you, you mentioned the local governments and uh, how do you, like, what role does collaboration play, I guess, in the work that yeah. does? I think collaboration is critical, um, wh whether it's just acceptance of, um, you know, of really the idea of affordable housing, which is probably better than it's ever been, not perfect, but better, um, or whether it's some kind of <coughs> potentially gap funding, uh, potentially uh, a tax abatement, um, you know, potentially other things that help us defray some of these rising construction costs and keep rents very affordable and, and allow us to, to serve the demographic we're trying to serve. What's, um, what kind of um, collaboration uh, did you do? So with, with FAHI, we didn't, I know that Jim mentioned you guys have collaborated, but we actually didn't get into what that was. I don't know if you recall what that was. Yeah. I mean, our, I, so we, we um, you know, back in the, uh, in the Great Recession, we did a, a deal with them where they were able to help us leverage some funds from what was then BB&T and, um, and, and bring in some other development dollars to get, to get a deal done that was uh, you know, a, a hard one to, to find equity for. Um, back in those days, everything was hard, uh, but you know, particularly uh, we were able to work with them and, and, and get some rural housing built uh, at a time that there wasn't much going on. It's kind of a hard time now in some ways, I think, right? So, like, I'm, I'm just thinking of the natural disasters in, in, in Kentucky here and, um, you know, the pandemic and all of that. Like you mentioned, the rising building costs. Um, how has that changed your, your work? Um, I, I looked at the map I was, of, of your property. I saw you guys have one in Dawson Springs. I don't know if it was affected, but I know it, that you it, have. Yeah. yeah. Our property in Dawson Springs was substantially damaged, destroyed, um, and uh, we're lucky in the sense that um, as a company, we kind of have the scale of personnel with a lot of expertise to be able to jump in and get something like that rebuilt quickly. So I think we were the first property to come back online um, after the tornado. So we, we, you know, our buildings were all without roofs and all kinds of problems. Uh, but we were able to rebuild quickly and, and, and the properties uh, rebuilt and occupied again. So, so fortunately, we were able to work through that pretty quickly. Um, 
does that change going forward? Like construction? I mean, I, it seems like you guys pride yourselves on the energy efficiency, right? Um, we, we, and now maybe, I don't know if the storm. Yeah. So we've always built in areas that are subject to some storm damage. Um, and Kentucky's not a particularly vulnerable area on the whole. I mean, not that there aren't natural disasters, but Kentucky's not considered a really high risk area. But but we've always built in places like along the eastern coast in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, other places like that where things like shear walls and storm prevention uh, construction techniques are very important. So that's for us always something we've included in our in our construction. Also, even in the places here in Kentucky, you guys. Yeah, we're very careful about our structural designs, and 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 because we stay with our properties over the long term, it's uh, it's important that we build something that's really going to last and and be very durable. And so we'll incorporate quite a few features into buildings that aren't necessarily required, but are going to give us good longevity for those buildings. Um, you, you, you know, we like to say you don't build a house and expect it to be uh, torn down or need a substantial rehab in 15 years, or we don't build apartments that we expect to have to gut in 15 years either. We really expect them to look good and, and, you know, maybe need a few upgrades here and there, but not, nothing substantial. So, so for us, it's really important to, we, we, we use what we call franchise specs and we've got a list of, I don't know, it's probably about 750 pages of different requirements we have when we build something that each of our architects and construction teams is expected to abide by so that in the end we have uh, a, a good quality durable product that we're happy with that our management team is happy with um, and that we feel is gonna is gonna provide longevity you have all the all the different components right you guys have architects you have an architectural side um, we design yeah we we, we, we do and and uh, that architectural group really helps us the most with just uh, the planning side I would think in terms of full-scale um, working drawings that architectural group maybe does about 20% of our properties so like in Kentucky, we've worked with a gentleman named Dan Grimm, who's an architect out of Louisville. I think he's designed everything we've ever done in Kentucky. Okay. Uh, we have a great relationship with Dan. He understands kind of our, our, our franchise specs and what our, what our expectations and needs are. Um, and we work, work really well with him. Well, I was, I was at the, uh, the um, on, what is it, the ribbon cutting for is it Sparrow Ridge? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Ridge, and you know, some one of the residents was remarking on, you know, the, sort of the quality of the, you know, the complex and the apartment and how it looks and the fixtures and the uh, appliances and all of that. Um, yeah, and I was just wondering how you guys think about that because you know, affordable housing, like she was saying, sometimes gets a bad rap, but when you really think about these multifamily developments, you know, they, they stand on their own, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so again, Dan Grimm is a great architect, good designer, you know, that was really his, some of the features in that building were, you know, working collaboratively with us and, and, and Dan, and, you know, I think it really, really turned out nicely. Yeah, I, I was uh, at dinner last night with a gentleman who's uh, uh, chairman of a board of a bank here in Cedar Rapids, and he was explaining how 
he had been to one of his grandkids' classes to talk about what he did for a living, and he talked about financing affordable housing. And one of the kids in the class said, oh, I live in that community uh, here in, in Cedar Rapids and talked about how great it was and nice and what an upgrade it was and, and how it was a wonderful place to live. So for us, that's really the, you know, that's really what we want to hear. That's, that's, that's the, you know, we never want to lose sight of the fact that our real constituency are, are the residents that we serve. And, you know, it's just important in, in all aspects of, of design, executing the construction and, and managing the property that we keep in mind that that's, that's who we serve. What, what are you guys working on now? And well, so, I mean, we're always working on something new, you know, it, 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 it definitely, because of where we are with construction costs, there's no doubt that what we build is changing a little bit. Um, we, we used to build a lot more townhomes than we can build right now. We used to build a lot more. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to our community called Breeze Crossing in Shelbyville, but it's a great subdivision in essence for seniors. It's a it's a one one story ranch style product that's got a integrated garage with each unit, and people just love those communities. But they're expensive to build, and you know as costs have risen, it's harder and harder to figure out how we can keep building those. So for right now, we've gone to more mid-rise buildings, um, you know, for, for general occupancy, more stacked flats for, for seniors, more of a, a, a building like you saw at Sparrow Ridge, which are very nice buildings. But I'd like to think in the future when costs calm, calm down a little bit, we might find a way to go back to differentiating some other product types as well. I was just going to say, we've gone to some ribbon cuttings and people have, you know, the developers have talked about, they would have had this project ready, this development ready to launch, say, six months ago, but they couldn't get doors or they couldn't get dishwashers. Um, and so I just wondered how you guys are are skirting those problems, how you're overcoming those challenges. You know, um, as best we can is the best way to say it. And it, it's been interesting because what we've seen is this month, it might be a shortage of windows. Next month, it might be a shortage of appliances. And it's really been hard to to foresee what those items would be. Like windows for a while were back ordered as much as call it eight months. It used to be if you wanted a windows, you'd call up your supplier and within 45 days they'd be delivered to your site. Same with cabinets. So we've had to we've had to come to um, you know we've we've rented temporary storage uh, containers and 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 on-site ways to hold on to material materials in advance. That's not the most efficient or cost-effective way to build. Um, and, and sometimes what's happened is we found like, like if you think about a door unit that's got a window in it and you have to store that on site for a period of time. And now you, instead of just delivering it into a unit and installing it, it's got to be staged somewhere and then moved again. You know, you might end up with a couple of them that are cracked that have to be replaced. And so it just makes it a little more difficult. Right now, probably our biggest concern, and you've probably heard this from others, is electrical switch gear. Uh, in some cases, that's on back order for as long as 10 months. We have a couple of properties we're building where we'll be done with those buildings probably by January, February, and we'll probably wait to occupy until May because we're still waiting for that last electrical equipment to show up. 
So it's it's been an interesting couple of years, no no doubt about it. We've had shortages of everything from paint buckets to drywall mud to windows, cabinets, appliances, electrical gear, etc. Jim King said that he feels that there is um, a housing crisis throughout the nation. And so when we asked him, you know, how would he, you know, what would be his solution? And he said it's not, you know, a one um, one off solution. So do you agree that there is a housing crisis and how would you what are some steps that you think people could take just to solve that problem? I do agree there's a housing crisis, and I think it is affecting all levels of incomes. I think it, there probably would need to be multifaceted solutions. Um, certainly, I don't think it's going to happen. I know it's not going to happen this year, but restoring the 12.5% cut to the 9% program would be a big, big improvement. Um, I, think, I think the 9% program even with that restored, can't possibly keep up with demand. So in my mind, the 4% uh, program uh, really is key to helping fill, fill the need. Um, and I think in terms of making 4% deals work, a statewide uh, real estate tax statute that allows for, um, you know, in essence, a pilot or some other uh, mechanism to have predictable and relatively low real estate taxes helps helps to fill a gap, as well as the state credit in Kentucky would be really important to, um, you know, kind of providing that 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 gap filler uh, to to make four percent deals work. So, I think it, I, I think it takes a number of things. And one thing that does worry me is we don't do enough for what I'll call the income levels of eighty to one hundred twenty percent. Uh, again, if you if you make 120% AMI, you and, and you're a family of four, you probably cannot afford that average home value of you know 400 and some thousand nationally. And I know that adjusts regionally, but still, it's very expensive to own a home right now. Um, and and you probably can't afford you know the 3,200 dollars a month for a three bedroom apartment somewhere. So so that that income level. Uh, band, uh, I, I think, is a group. At some point, we've got to figure out a way to to, to serve that group. Um, I was just going to say, Kentucky is kind of unique in that we have two, you know, big city. Well, really, three big cities: the Golden Triangle, and then there are so many rural areas. So you speak a little bit about how um, economic development, or you know, I guess access to work, uh, plays a role in where you you choose to develop. What do you think is the solution for, you know, Appalachia or Appalachia for those really um, rural areas? How are we going to get housing to them if they don't have the infrastructure? So it's 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 definitely going to be a, a a challenge, but it's an important challenge to meet. So a lot of the communities have infrastructure, or you know, at least enough infrastructure. It's it's a couple of things. First. To make a deal like that work, there's got to be a huge amount of credit per unit because you cannot afford much by way of um, private debt. So you're really going to have to fund the property very, um, very heavily with just the tax credits. Secondly, I think it's really important to 
build in those areas because in, in areas like Louisville, if you build something, you're probably going to have a 30, 40% uh, rent advantage compared to what's being built for market rate. And so you're, you're serving people based on the rents that, that are going to be charged. In some of the more rural areas, there is no one who's ever going to go build something new there at market rate. It's not possible. You cannot dream of getting the rents or justifying the costs of building. So the only thing that keeps some places um, you know, kind of revitalizing and, and allowing for some new construction would be some tax credit uh, developments there. And, 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 you know, rather than, rather than in essence, you know, being a, a value proposition in the market, the new tax credit units really are the market. So, so you're, you're kind of setting that rental market as, as, as the new product in town. And, and it's really important to, to, to build particularly, you know, both both general occupancy, but particularly some senior housing, because a lot of seniors live in live in single family homes in those areas. The only way they're going to age in place is through is through some kind of uh, affordable development in the area. David, is there anything that you want to share about um, you know the affordable housing crisis or what you guys are doing right now, or just anything you want to share about this this uh, subject? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only thing I would say is I do think as a industry, and I'll put that in quotes, you know, we're seeing more collaboration. We're seeing more people come around to the idea that 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 different levels of incomes and serving different levels of incomes in a community is really important to the health, longevity, and well-being of those communities. And so I just I just think it's really important that we all we all kind of keep at you know the the whole concept of trying to address the problems as they arise and we keep trying to find common ground we don't always agree on exactly what needs to be done to make something work but there's enough we can't agree on i think to push policymakers and and legislators and others to try to keep bringing some resources to bear for, for this area it's really just such an important area. I'm sure you've seen this year, there are a couple new studies that have come out. There's one that predicts a much higher level of education achievement for kids who are raised in tax credit housing than, than other types of, of, of housing. You know, there are constant studies about how a variety of, of income levels in a community really doesn't do anything to adversely impact house values or anything like that. It actually tends to tends to help in those instances. And so I just think it's important that as a as an industry we continue to push the agenda of we need sufficient resources in order to to keep keep trying to fill that need. Thanks for listening to Bringing It Home with KHC. For more episodes or to read stories about KHC's work, visit blog.kyhousing.org. There you will find success stories about the people we serve, initiatives, including helping those impacted by recent natural disasters, and much more. If you have any suggestions for topics, send us a message at communications at kyhousing.org. We hope you'll join us next month.